Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Hello, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. V Radio is once again proud to present uh, Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows of the Venus Project. Um, coming on tonight to talk about, or well, today, sorry, <laughs> tonight for them, um, today, um, today for me, uh, to talk about the uh, world tour and how it's been going. So I'm going to go ahead and just uh, bring them on. Um, hello, Jacques. Hello, Roxanne. It's great to have you back. Hi, Neil. It's great to be back. Hi, Neil. Good to talk to you, as always. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, I mean, uh, we were talking just a little bit off the call, and you're like, gee, don't ask me where we, we went, because I can't remember. You've been to so many places. Um, you know, I guess uh, the, the question would be, um, first of all, I'll start off, is uh, what kind of reception are you getting? Has it been encouraging? Oh, it's been really overwhelming. It's been wonderful. Um, you know, to to do this for so long and not really seeing people out there, even after Zygeist came about, knowing that all these chapters were there, but to meet the people is is a, it's just really great. It's a different experience entirely. And to see that so many of them are so interested and work so hard and, and have read the things on the book list and read the books and gotten the videos, it's just amazing. That's awesome. Um, can you think of any, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, in no way downplaying anybody else that you guys have talked to, you know, share some of your experiences with us, you know, some highlights or things that really stuck stuck out in your memory as, you know, moments that were perhaps invigorating or exciting. Well, every day is exciting because all the people we meet, I'd say about 95% are very accepting of the Venus Project. They know that the culture is going downhill, and they agree that we need something brand new, a very different approach to social problems. Excellent. Any comment on that as well, Roxanne? Well, you know, we're, we're like I said, we're really well received everywhere, and um, the, the people are so glad and so appreciative to have us come and visit, and they always say that they've learned so much, and so many of them say it's changed their lives and you know we've got to thank Peter Joseph for that too with Zygite's addendum and all his hard work to set up these chapters all over to help do that you know with other people that he's he's been working with too but um, it, it looks really like it's happening so quickly compared to you know no support for 35 years and just all of this is like I said overwhelming there isn't anything in particular that stands out I have a blog that I write about every stop and have a slideshow on our website there's the blog and that's what that's about now uh, that's been kind of fun and and I write about the highlights of, of each stop and what 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 we're experiencing so then people can check out your blog then on Venus Project, uh, thevenusproject.com uh, and, you know, get some of these updates then. Yeah. Excellent. Um, well, um, you know, I guess, uh, first of all, you guys are in Bristol, England right now. Uh, where did you just come from? Well, we just came from Ireland and Scotland before that. We're going, we've, we're well over half finished with our, our tour and uh, we've, Went to about 28 countries altogether, maybe giving over 35 lectures, because in some places we gave several lectures. And we don't have too much more to go. We're 
going after this one on Saturday here in, in England, we go to Germany and then we're going to be spending two weeks there and then to Paris, France, and then we have five stops throughout Canada and November 1st we're back to Venus. Wow. Wow, man, you guys have just been all over the place and uh, I guess maybe you'll be home around the time that we're doing Zeitgeist 3, hopefully. Yeah, we hope so. I was really pleased to hear that that'll be done this year. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's going to be great. Um, well, uh, I guess um, you know, I have to ask my audience if they have any questions for you guys. Um, I'd have to say, you know, now I remember we talked a little bit about a couple of different things. Now, did, did Greece ever, like, did, did the Greeks ever do that thing on their television they were talking about doing for you guys, or what? Oh, yeah, Greece was an amazing stop because you know, the things are so bad in Greece, and they're really angry there. And we had support from a lot of business people. We had support from scientists who have said that, uh, you know, Jacques' work has inspired them, and they started new projects for sustainability. We did a, visited an island and saw their desalinization plant, went to their university on another island, and Jacques gave a lecture there. Um, it was very exciting, and it's really funny because we were in Greece for about a week, and then we went to this very small island, had about 100 people, and no running water, and on it they gave us an award for our work on a resource-based economy. <laughs> it's really getting out there. That's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, um, I've seen, like, you guys, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to answer your question. I got diverted. Um, the TV show that we thought we were going to have, and they thought we were going to have too, because I think some of the anchor people within the television station were really for the Zeitgeist movement. That's what we're running across more and more. There are a lot of professional people who are in different fields who are really pushing and, and doing some tremendous work towards towards the Venus Project and the Zeitgeist movement. But uh, it got stopped when it went higher up, so we it didn't come about. But it was interesting. After we left Greece, we... We um, we sold out the lecture before we even got there, and we did another smaller lecture after near the end. But we couldn't get any media other than one of the universities did several stories on us in their paper and their website. But when we left, they started doing newspaper articles about why it would be terrible to eliminate money. <laughs> It must have some impact. Yeah, well, yeah, they must be scared. You know, it's, um, it's interesting how people cling to that. I mean, it, you know, me, I'm always the one in the center of all these debates, and it, it's clear that, you know, uh, there was actually a, a guy, Robert Anton Wilson, that he wrote The Atheist Rising, and in his book he refers to money as bio-survival tickets. You know, people get, like, they think that money is their survival. They get almost, you know, emotionally attached to it, but they think it's their security, so... Yeah, I think that they get really nervous about it. Um, it's like, what? No more money, you know, because they they know how to live with money. So without money, they, they you know, it's like something that has come to be, you know, something that people comfort themselves with. So, but um, yeah, you know, uh, I guess uh, so. We we talked a little bit about that, talked about Greece. Uh, now, I mean, if, where are you guys headed next? To Munich. I mean, we've been to New Zealand. We had two lectures there. We had four lectures in Australia. We've been to Japan, um, India, 
know where we've been. It gets, just gets dizzying. One every every week we're in another location. So um, you know, Greece and Ireland and Scotland. Um, I hate to leave people out, but it's oh, Sweden's a great stop in Sweden. Um, Spain was amazing too. They have a huge group in Spain. They were great. The hardest thing about all this, people say, well, isn't it hard doing all this, going, you know, staying in hotels and staying in people's homes and being in another place and all this flying. The hardest part is saying goodbye to all the people that we meet because it's like instant family when you come across people who have similar values right, and right. are so interested in the things that you're interested in and really working towards this. They really feel like family. So it's really hard to say goodbye at every stop. I definitely have to envy you guys for going to Ireland. I've only visited there once, and I wanted to live there immediately. I really like the people there and their attitude, and um, they take much better of their country, too. Um, what was Japan like? Well, Japan, there were a couple of places that we really weren't that well known, and the audience wasn't that large, and that was Japan and India. Uh, Japan is, is such a regimented culture. The city was was really not that pleasant. It was chaotic and it was uh, a lot of pollution. And in a lot of these cities, you can see the pollution hovering over the cities. But um, Japan, we just weren't that well known and you had the language barrier. The people who came to the lecture were actually people who lived out side of Japan that were just there for teaching or for school or for something like that, or people who were in Japan, left Japan, and came back. So it was very strange. But, you know, all, all of the business people there, and they're all businessmen practically, they all wear black suits and white shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman we got to know there who helped translate, she was really wonderful. She had left Japan right after college because she knew she had to get married, otherwise she'd be ostracized. The, the culture is just so rigid that it, you know, the robotics are great, technology is great, but um, the, the, the values are really kind of old in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's, you know, I remember talking to a friend of mine, actually, who lives in China, and he said that he thinks that we'll have a hard time there as well, um, for very similar reasons. Um, but yeah, okay. Uh, and so you said that, um, let me see, you went to India, Ireland. Uh, went to Portugal. Portugal, what was that like? Um, well, the people are always great all over. <laughs> you know, what was it like? Sometimes we don't, we don't really go sightseeing much. We stay within the city uh, and um, we talk to the Zeitgeist members as much as possible. And that's what we're going for. You know, that's what the mission is about, to help. Uh, Jacques talks to them for many hours sometimes, and we answer questions and try and fill them in about this direction more so. So the only time we really did much sightseeing was in Greece. We went to the Acropolis, and um, in Spain we went to Calatrava's uh, architectural work, uh, that's all on the, the photos in our blog. Mm-hmm. We like his work as an architect. It's a bit arty, you know, not as functional as Jacques' work, but right. 
So that was interesting to see. It was really very nice atmosphere. It did a whole complex, a science and technology complex, or science and arts, something like that. And um, it was just very refreshing after being in a lot of the cities. Well, yeah, I'd say, um, you know, it's good that you guys were able to get out. I mean, that's what I was wondering earlier. It's like uh, how many of these countries were, were new for you guys? Because, I mean, I, I know Jack did a lot of traveling. Um, so, I mean, how many, would you say that, uh, I mean, how many of these countries were absolutely places you've never been to in your 94 years, Jack? Oh, well, it's all. Yeah. Uh, I've been to China before, but uh, most of these countries are brand new. I mean, new experience for me. I'm very pleased with all the people we've met. Um, the kind of questions we get are usually the typical questions that everybody asks. And uh, they say, well, the trouble is you always have similar answers. That's because we get similar questions. <laughs> what we really need is new questions, such as who makes the decisions? How do they arrive at decisions? What if a person doesn't want to live in the cities? Are they free to live outside the area? Um, and a major decision made by a consensus, a small group of people, uh, all the decisions made by scientists and engineers, these are the questions we don't get, like to answer. Have at it, Jack. Okay. For example, they do ask, what will the schools be like in the future? Various people ask those questions. The schools will be very different than they are today. Children will be given basic science. How we relate to nature, how nature relates to us. How we relate to other people, they'll be also very well schooled in the science of behavior. The behavior of animals, insects, people, how we get to be the way we are, what creativity is, what ingenuity is. Today we use words like the person's talented or gifted. And uh, those are false words. They are conditioned by environment to become creative or non-creative. All of these things can be identified, including serial killers, murderers, gangsters, are all conditioned by society. People that do not understand these things believe that there's such a thing as human nature. There is no such thing as human nature. There are certain reflexes we have. They say children have a fear of loud noise, babies. They have a reaction to loud noise, a startling reaction. They say that people have a fear of height only if they've fallen and have an association with depth of field do they react to height a certain way, that they're not born with bigotry, prejudice, and all the qualities that they think are human nature. Still listening? Yes. Another question we also get is um, the transition. You know, they always want to know how we're going to do it. It's really not up to, to me and Jacques. We don't have any money. We don't have any power. The transition will kind of go at its own pace. We don't have control of things to determine how the transition will work, but we do feel it will be, it will be tough. It, it will be painful because people just don't, they're just taught how to be cogs in a wheel. They're not taught critical thinking. They don't have the luxury to sit down and look around and say, what are we doing? Where are we going? How can this be better? 
So they're so preoccupied in their jobs, it'll take them losing their jobs, losing their homes, losing confidence in their elected leaders before they look for another alternative. That's why we feel it's so important to have that film out and have Peter Joseph's next film out, but another film that we consider social therapy for the general public to give them a direction to work towards, because otherwise they won't arrive at that direction on their own. Yeah, that's definitely been, um, I've been working personally on how to relate some of these ideas to, you know, people from different groups of people. And I know, I know we had talked about, uh, you know, writing books and such, and I'm actually hoping on getting together a book of my own at some point about how to discuss this issue with, uh, for example, the people's libertarian mindset. Um, is there ways that you can disarm them, so to speak? And I don't mean that in an insidious way. It's just that certain words and phrases will really startle a libertarian. They'll think you're trying to take their freedom away when you're really trying to give it back to them. Um, and yeah. Yes, Chuck? What we have to be aware of is ego problems. You can tell an ego problem, normal or healthy people will ask questions. What do you do about greed? How will you prevent corruption in the Venus Project? Is there enough resources to go around? An ego problem can be detected when a person says, it'll never work. That's an ego problem. Unless they identify that the highways aren't wide enough or your horsepower is insufficient to move the electric cars. They have to point to some specific thing, then you know they're interested. If they say, well, if you ask me, you won't see that for 10,000 years. That's an ego problem. And when you identify an ego problem, get off. Because the person's not asking any questions. They're just making statements because they want to participate. Yeah, I've seen... Go ahead. You follow me? Oh, no, I totally do, actually. And that's another thing I've thought about doing a book about is because... There's so many people who don't realize uh, the various little things that get in the way of their understanding, and ego is one of the biggest. Um, yes. People can't handle it, you know, any kind of challenge, and it, they make everything into like a, a social pecking order argument. It's like, uh-oh, this guy's opposing me. I better rise to the challenge, even if it's not rational, because I don't want to look bad in front of everybody. And it's it's really sad. I mean, it's uh, you know, we always go back to the example of Galileo. You know, the scientists who proved that the world wasn't flat, you know, th people like that, you know, and then there were people with egos who opposed that so much that they wanted to kill them for exposing these scientific truths. Um, well, the people were burnt yeah. alive because they had views that were slightly different than the dominant views of society. That's what happened with the Christ figure, you know, on the cross. They burnt, they hung, they strung so many people up on the cross. I mean, I'm not saying the Christ figure per se, but that people always bring that up. And even in Salem, Massachusetts, they burnt women because they had slightly different ideas, and they burned them alive. And of course, I, I mentioned this many times. If you, for every witch you found, you inherited their bank account, their property. Did you right. know that? Oh yes, I, I know that. I actually brought that up in a courtroom, actually, because. Uh, Somebody was trying to uh, was trying to deny my uh, soon-to-be ex-wife, but deny her visitation to one of her children because of a religious difference. And um, I brought that up in court, and it was actually kind of funny because the it clearly was not what the lawyer expected me to bring up. But I told him I was like, "Well, there's legal precedent to figure this out. Why don't you just tie her up and uh, throw her in the you know throw her in a lake and 
if she floats to the surface, well, you know, then you'll know she need to put her to death, and, you know, his church can have all of her stuff. And uh, but if she sinks, she'll be dead, but at least you'll know her soul is with your God, right? <laughs> well, it's such an elementary tale, you would imagine that people would be better informed, but obviously our schools are failing. In other words, our schools are better equipped than ever, but we are not emphasizing science. Science, to me, means to check things out, test it. In other words, you don't want to follow anybody. You want to check their statements. Make sure they correspond with the physical world. Make sure they correspond with a reference for what they talk about. People usually just shoot off at the mouth without any understanding because they're encouraged to do so in this particular kind of culture where ego and winning the game, uh, gaining, gaining the most funds that you can, the best in property and wealth. We admire people that are wealthy. In the Holy Land, they thought they were greedy. In other words, we're running into a lot of new problems today because of what we emphasize in this culture. The word success, to me, means earning a lot of money and having a home and two cars and children in college. Success, to me, is entirely different than what success is to the average person. Success is being a successful human being in terms of pursuing what you believe in. If you believe in making paintings, writing poetry, writing music, if this is what you really want, you're successful to yourself. But to be successful to a culture means to sell yourself short of what you really want. You know, that's actually that's very true, and I, I commented on that on a radio show not long ago because we had a radio show about the fact that, you know, uh, the society kind of makes people materialistic and makes them think that in order to be successful, they have to have a certain amount of cars of certain quality and a big house and they need to get married and have 2.5 children and all that other jazz. And otherwise, they're not successful. Um, and if you don't have certain material possessions, like the fact that I live in a trailer, you know, is something that some people bring up in argument. And that's one of the reasons, like you said, run, you know, shoot off at the mouth. It's very true. You see people, they'll say things that are just, you know, they'll say these little vagaries, like they'll say things like, nobody likes you or everybody likes this person. And I usually, I always catch them. I'm like, nobody, everybody? Do you have any data to support that nobody likes this or everybody likes that? You know, um, uh, between that and another major uh, social pollution that I see a lot, um, and I, I keep quoting it, but Adolf Hitler said in Mein Kampf, you know, if you repeat the lie often enough, it becomes truth. And I see people do that. They'll have a social agenda, and they'll just repeat something that's totally, you know, BS over and over and over again. And then eventually, people in their little herd mentalities, they accept it because, you know, there's a certain social economy. You know, basically, you get rewards for upholding the status quo. And that's how you end up agreeing to stuff that's just total nonsense. You know, competition. But, competition is upheld to beat the other fellow. You know what helped me a great deal? I mentioned this several times before. I built a, a model airplane that nosed into the ground. And an older boy came up to me and said, the problem is you'll have your wings too far back. So he showed me how to locate the center of gravity. 
And then I said to him, how did you know that? He said, because I made the same mistake you made. I didn't know. And other people showed me the way. But instead of walking over to me and saying, my plane is better than yours, that's an ego trip. He informed me as to what was insufficient in the design of my model airplane. So I find in sharing ideas to be much more fruitful than winning. Um, it looks like we actually have a, a totally new listener who's tuning in right now, and they're asking, um, could you give a spiel on what the Venus Project is? I know that's an old question, but we have a new listener. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you really want a world without war, poverty, hunger, unemployment, if you really want that, you have to declare all the world's resources as a common heritage of all the world's people. Then you have to do a survey to see what the earth, what the carrying capacity of the earth is and maintain a population in different geographical regions in uh, proportion to the carrying capacity of that geographical region rather than political methods well, what do you think? What do you think, Ben? What do you think, Mr. Wilson? We're not interested in what people think. We're interested in the carrying capacity of the Earth. If you have a population far in excess of what the Earth can support, you're going to have territorial invasions, you're going to have war, you're going to have disruption of the culture, you're going to have greed. All these things are byproducts of culture. If you don't understand that, You'll go on repeating the same stupid things over and over again. Recession, poverty, hunger, jealousy, envy, war. That's, you know, that definitely, um, I don't, I, sometimes people have difficulty understanding how it is that we cure problems like war, you know, and poverty and crime and things of that nature. And, I think that a lot of it is that people don't understand that, you know, those behaviors are caused by the environment, um, that it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's proven statistically that when you live in an environment where there is no scarcity of the, of the necessities of life, then crime and violence goes down. You know, you live in an area where the opposite is true, and then you get the opposite result. You get more crime, more violence. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a matter of rather than trying to control human beings with laws that aren't effective anyway, you need to create an environment that is conducive to the positive behavior, the peaceful behavior that you're looking for in the first place. Um, I think that some people, it, it takes a while for them to really grasp what we mean by that because they're so conditioned to believe that everything that they're doing is based on the reward punishment system. They don't really think about the underlying root causes of everything. Um, and that, I think, is one of the major things about the Venus Project, that it, it sometimes takes people a while to get. Um, now, um, somebody was asking, actually, this is a question about the tour. Uh, what do you guys do in between your, uh, your various lectures? Well, most of the time we visit with the Zeitgeist members. Um, pretty much that's it. We're just we in fill them in with areas that they have difficulty with. We fill in the difficult problems and answers that they're not able to be forthcoming with. 
Also, uh, in several locations, we come a little bit earlier because um, several of them have radio shows or um, you know, television appearances. A lot of times, though, we were in locations where places just close up for the summer, which really wasn't planned too well in, in terms of television and radio because they leave also. I see, I see. Now, now uh, let's go back to, uh, you were talking about um, ego and, and troubles with communication and uh, things of that nature. I, I think that, you know, it's funny that you, you brought that up, Jacques, because that has been something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, you know, and we've, we've gone over this a little bit, but it's, uh, there are so many things, that, I mean, there are artificial things that our society itself to prevent them from being able to think and to learn, um, you know, like in schools, you know, being a smart kid is a great way to get picked on rather than being something that would be encouraged. And I don't really feel that the schools do anywhere near enough to protect kids from, you know, the jealousy you know, from, of the other kids. I mean, in the end, it would be better if we just made sure every kid was smart. But there just seems to be like a value structure that's, that's backwards. I mean, you had your own problems when you went to school. I know I had problems when I went to school. Being smart, I mean, they, they don't put it place anywhere near as much emphasis on things like science fairs as they do as their sports and, you know, uh, things along that line. And People think that science is just another field. I'm a, I'm a fabric designer, another man's a poet and a writer. There is nothing else. The only real operational training that children must have, you know, human behavior is shaped by culture. They have to be exposed. And one way to do it is to say, if you were raised in the South, you'd speak with a Southern accent. If you were raised in the backwoods of the South, you might have become a member of the Ku Klux Klan and want to burn people even though they've done nothing. The way you come and the values you're given by your culture seem perfectly real to you. To me, when I go to France and I notice a person that can speak English, speaks English with a French accent. And that is the proof of environment. There are people that study language and they can tell exactly what part of the globe a person came from by their regional dialect. Not only their regional dialect, their values and facial expressions. It's really not where the emphasis is today in psychology. It's, it's on the individual. They blame the individual left over from religion, too. Talk about good people, bad people. Um, so it's, um, it, they're looking at things totally backwards. Well, then, you know, it's, go ahead. it's harder today even for women to go into science and things that are substantial. I think they're put down even more. So you have less women in science. That's another thing we see all over, that there are very few women in many of the zeitgeist movements, mostly men. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, it's not that they don't get it, and they certainly aren't discriminated against the names like they circle in, and it just, um, I guess, part of it is I think that the culture that ends up guys moving, a lot of them are the kind of guys who sit around their computers all day, and it's not to say that people outside of that can't comprehend it, it's just that a lot less girls do that, a lot less girls just sit around their computers. And it's, it's not because they're not smart. It's because they have different expectations from society, you know, on them. 
you know, that makes them, it, it's just, it's a different situation for them. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that changing. I'm actually really glad, Roxanne, that, you know, Jacques has a strong, you know, female companion who can help to represent this idea because I'm sure that, you know, that allows you to be kind of a role model that, you know, there's no reason why, you know, there can't be more women involved in what we're doing. Um, Once the women break through and come into this movement, they are usually terrific, very well read, very well informed, and have the tools to change other people. Right. Absolutely. Um, now, Another question, actually, I, I imagine this person's probably Italian, but they're saying, um, are, are you looking forward to the upcoming Italian lecture? No, we're not. Well, we would be, but the Italian lecture got canceled for various reasons. So we're not going to Italy. We're spending an extra week in Germany where we'll probably have some other activities. The Germans <laughs> lived up to their reputation about how hard they worked, but they started... I don't know how many months in advance pushing this really hard, as many places did, but um, they're going to have a huge turnout and they might do another lecture. They're going to try and set up something else for the week that we have there instead of going to Italy. Oh, okay. Well, um, actually, uh, Doug, Doug Mallet um, of NASA, he's in the chat room and he just wanted to have me tell you guys hello. Um, and... Uh, now, as far as uh, we were talking a little bit about the language barrier, that is something actually that occurred to me. You know, um, I mean, it's got to be a little bit clunky to try to do a lecture and having somebody have to translate the whole thing. What, what's that like for you, Jacques? Uh, the language barrier? Mm-hmm. Well, found it. Well, in a couple places. Um, in but, Japan and yeah. in India are the only places I found it. Well, um, in the places where they did have to translate, where Jacques did have to stop every couple of sentences, and he's really bad at stopping, <laughs> but um, you, it, it was harder. It breaks up the whole trend, the whole flow. But a couple of places, too, they had uh, the, the headsets where they translated in real time, which worked really well. Yeah, that does sound like a great idea. Were you able to translate questions as well then? Yes, it was done in real time. In, in, yeah, in certain locations. But that is costly, but sometimes we did that anyway. I, I even forget where that was. But some other places we went to were Austria and the Netherlands and Slovenia and Denmark. Didn't want to leave anybody out there. Somebody said that, uh, or somebody just said here that uh, Jacques had a hard time understanding the Scottish accent. Just yeah. <laughs> I, can imagine. Well, I, I think they were just kidding mm. because every time I went to a different country, I said, in Scotland, if you were brought up in Australia, you'd say, how are you, mate? <laughs> you can see the difference is fast. If you take a, a, a Afro-American, bring him up in Australia, he says, how are you going out, buddy? You know, they speak with the same Australian accent. And if you take a, an Italian baby and bring them up in, in Germany, they speak just like a German. The, it seems so obvious that environment shapes behavior. I'm always surprised at the lack of understanding that people have of the effects of environment on values, facial expression, and behavior. I think people just don't want to accept it, really. I mean, they probably think of it as a, a threat to their, their personal free choice because 
you know, when, when you think about it, you know, being shaped by your environment, you know, uh, it, it, it takes away from what people believe their autonomy is. But, I mean, actually, right. that, go ahead, Roxanne. No, I was just agreeing with you. That's right. It, it takes away the notion of free will. But actually, I think it's liberating. It, it gives you the ability to become anything, to learn anything if you have the right teacher. It doesn't restrict you to people think, well, you're, you're gifted or talented in one particular area. Everybody can be what they think is gifted and talented. It's, it's nothing that's inborn. Those are words. It's just because they don't know how to enable somebody to become an artist or a musician. You know, and that's actually something that nowadays when people, that maybe they're depressed or something bothers them or, or they're not liking some aspect of their life, I find myself giving advice to them along the lines of, well, have you changed your environment? You know, have you thought about the kind of people that you're associating with or the kind of, you know, circumstances you find yourself in? I mean, like, for example, when, when somebody is on drugs, they tell them to, you know, if, if they want to get out of it, that they need to change, you know, their, their group of friends. They need to change the circumstances that they live in, you know, because otherwise those habits are just going to keep coming back. It's like environmental therapy, so to speak, you know, is, is really important to making yourself feel better, you know, rather than, you know, just expecting you yourself to be able to just feel better about a situation that's still just as bad as it's always been, you need to change your situation. That's a lot more logical. Um, Neil, if you, if you encounter that again, just point out that if you want a person to be an architect, you put him in or her in an architectural environment, university. If you want a person to be a structural engineer, you put him in an engineering environment. It's a school or university. And usually if you want a doctor, you put him in a medical environment. So everybody seems to understand that, but they don't seem to think much about it. If you want to be a muscle man, you lift up weights and you, you develop that musculature. If you want to be on a rowing team, you get in a boat, you work. Everybody seems to know that they have to go to school to learn to draw, to paint pictures, to write music. You don't have to go to school, but if you do, you're exposed to a broader concept in some schools. Some schools are very restricted. I would say in the future, people will be shown the precise systems that make an engineer or an an artist or a poet, they will show you the environment and how it shapes behavior. It is not inborn. No, I, I totally agree with you. you know, and though, Jacques, I, you know, I've always wanted to ask this because, for example, um, my mother came out of a really bad family, very abusive family. Um, she kind of came out, well, obviously not abusive at all. Um, how do we explain these kinds of anomalies? Is it, does it mean that... I can only try to explain it. Go ahead. If it fails, you have to let me know. Sure. Sometimes, although you live in an abusive family, if you notice the family next door has a lot of warmth and love to give something to compare it to, but if you've only known an abusive family, if you've never read any books or seen motion pictures about differences in behavior, then you question your family. But if you never see anything outside of the Nazi party or the Ku Klux Klan, that becomes your limited ability to select or preferential environments. 
Yeah, actually, that's that's kind of what my initial gut reaction to that answer, that question was myself, was that in some way or another, you know, my mother and people like her need to, need to have been exposed to some alternative. Um, I mean, I've also met, like, you know, an unfortunate girl, for example, who was, she was, you know, uh, basically hurt by her father on a regular basis sexually, and it, it wasn't me when she was in college at a, you know, at a some kind of a slumber party gathering or something and started openly talking about it that she found out that that was incorrect, that she was not aware of it for years. She just thought that's how fathers interacted with their daughters. Um, and it was, a, it was, he, of course, you know, did everything he could to be sure that she was never in a position to tell anybody about it. She didn't know anything about it until then, you know, um, and that's, I guess that's kind of an example of, you know, how these cultures can even make you accept, you know, even the most crazy things because it's your culture that's forming you. Um, now, there's uh, actually somebody here in the chat room from Slovenia who wanted to tell you they met you there and they really enjoyed the lecture and uh, to thank you, if right. I'm saying that word right. Um, and another question was, how does it feel after all of these years to be doing this? Well, I... Uh I really feel that people are beginning to ask a lot of new questions. And I'm, I just feel privileged to be able to be there to answer some of the questions. So far, I haven't been stumped by any questions yet. But uh, I look forward to the day that someone will ask a new and original question. I think people seek out environments they're used to. If you speak with a southern accent, you tend to hang out with Southerners. I don't say it's always true, but we tend to seek out the environment that we've been, that we identify with due to our culture. Another thing, when people think that, a lot of people think that environment is just your home life and just your parents, but it's not. It's, you know, the food you eat and the teachers that you have and your role models and your subcultures and the movies you see and the TV shows and and the books you read, it's every little teeny interacting variable within your life and when it occurred. You know, that's, that's actually something I've been working on myself. It's kind of a little personal project. I've been going uh, back and watching all the movies that I used to watch when I was very young to, to kind of get a feel for different aspects. And it's funny how much you learn about yourself. Like, in doing this, I learned about why I'm attracted to certain types of girls. Um, I learned about, you know, why I ha hold certain values. And I also, I, I learned about, you know, where some of my more negative traits came from that I have since been able to change. You know, the different aspects of yourself, particularly when you're really young, you don't realize how much of an impact this information has on you at that age. It's, it also has caused me to become very, very sad to allow my children to be exposed. Uh, Neil, if you think about it, most children, if you have any questions, when did they learn to speak? Well, they never was a day that they learned to speak. First it was da, da, ga, ga, ba, ba, and then daddy, mama, glass, bottle, cook, stove, door, over and over again, where you don't even know where or how you've been influenced. When I was a kid, all cowboys used to wear two guns. They never sat down to discuss anything. They solved their problems by shooting the opponent. Mm -hmm. And that was constant. You know, there was no, nothing else. There was never any intellect on TV. They always showed an Afro-American running away from ghosts 
they showed a Mexican sleeping under his big sombrero or hat, we get the illusion that all Mexicans are lazy. They like to sleep in the sun. That's all the movies I went to. Gangsters never did anything nice. They were always mean. I know that Al Capone opened more soup kitchens in New York City than the federal government. Did you know that, Neil? Yes. So you see, people do not come as good or bad or right or wrong. They are good in some areas, poor in other areas. But so often today, people who aren't exposed to too many other things and and have a warm family life that's very traditional in some ways, they don't come into their own. They live their their grandparents or great 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 grandparents' lives over and over again because their values are the same. the The traditions that they hold are the same. Yes, and you know, people become very emotionally attached to those things too. Um, like I had a kind of a candid conversation about music today with somebody, and they became very offended with me. And I was just talking about music. Um, you know, and it was because that music had become something that they uh, had a, a basically a, attributed to uh, some kind of um, values, you know, and it's, it was to the point where I, I was really surprised because now I'm kind of at a stage where I just kind of talk about things, you know, as they are. I'm not really, I guess I'm, it, it makes it difficult sometimes to relate to other people who are so illogically, emotionally attached to certain things. It makes it difficult to converse with people who, you know, become so easily offended. I think that the offense really is fear. You know, they don't they don't want anybody to think think something out of that. So well, they um, really have a very limited frame of reference. You know, the words they use, the language they use, the facial expressions, their friends, all of that gels their behavior. So when you become better equipped, you no longer will talk at people. You will learn who you're talking to, and you'll be able to give them examples of traditional patterns that we all pick up. When the German sees a swastika, he gets a lump in his throat. When the Jew sees a swastika, he spits. In other words, the behavior obviously seems to be induced by environment. Just just pick uh, obvious examples of behavior and environment. Now, um... Another question here is, uh, do you feel the Venus Project is ready, ready structurally as an organization to drastically grow into a global force given the 30 years where it was somewhat small and, you know, just not as well known? Well, now it's known by, I think it is according, a global to, force. <laughs> according to uh, PJ, he says 50 million people now know about it. And so... It's now more popular than ever. It's appearing on radio, TV, magazines all over the world. It really just depends on what those people do, how much they learn about it and how much they talk about it and work at it to introduce it to other people and how many examples they understand so they can, you know, make this understandable for others. So it's not up to us, as we always say. Nia, when you speak to people or members of the Zeitgeist Movement or people of the Venus Project, you have to talk to them about these new concepts. Mm-hmm. You have to discuss it. You have to pick up the book, The Best That Money Can't Buy, read chapters in it, and discuss it. Bring up resistance, questions, 
And, and only in that way can you better inform people. Now, there's a question actually um, in one of my alternative chat rooms, Jack. Um, people are, are concerned about personal sovereignty, like their ability to be themselves. Um, and I, I generally try to I try to go after that because you know in your book you say all the time that personal rights and things of that nature are very much paramount. Um, so I mean, talking about everybody's right to be themselves while at the same time working with other people. First of all, the concept "be yourself" is a senseless concept without a reference. If you were brought up in a Jewish culture, you behaved like a Jewish person. Are you yourself? What do you mean by yourself? If you're brought up by Seminole Indians, you picture heaven as a happy hunting ground with lots of deer. If you're brought up as an Eskimo, heaven has lots of seals. Do you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're never yourself. You're brought up by an Irish family and you say, the lad is an Irish boy from Dublin. And that's the way you'd speak if you're brought up in Ireland. What do you mean by yourself? There's never been a demonstration of a self. Sometimes in court they say, tell me in your own words what happened. And a person says, blah, 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 blah. that's your own words. The right. thing is your own words. You understand that? Yes. If you put up in the South, you can't talk in your own words. You talk with a Southern accent. If you brought up in England, you talk with an English accent. Nobody has ever been themselves. And that's you know, and I don't think yeah, I don't think people are ready to accept that. They don't they don't like the idea. Just like we in Roxanne said earlier, they don't like the idea um, uh, of that that they're not you know. Uh, people, people, people didn't like the idea of the Earth being round. They thought you could see it's flat. Your eyes look at it. Look at the horizon. It's absolutely flat. But when scientists found out it was round, they didn't try to get along with people. That is not your job. They could have said it's a little round, a little flat, but they didn't. They said you're wrong. The views that you hold have no base backup, no reference. You're not born speaking a language. You're not born, you know, drawing or understanding physics or or English poetry. You pick that up in from your environment. So. The self is everything that you've learned from your books, your family life, your teachers, your role models. Mm -hmm. You guys still there? <laughs> Just got quiet all of a sudden. Um, yeah. But yeah, your role models, you know, different aspects of, you know, what formed you as a person. The movies you watch and who you hang out with. You ask your friends, the people you're talking to, if you were raised as a baby by the Eskimos, you'd think like an Eskimo. You can't be yourself. What does that mean? Those are the phony words. That's why I recommend the tyranny of words or language and thought and action by Hayakawa or Science and Sanity by Alfred Korzybski. That shows us how we get to be the way we are. There's never been a self. Yes, I agree with you. Now, there's another aspect that comes up all the time, and I, I kind of thought it was common knowledge, but um, people who are concerned about their personal freedom, they usually want to know, you know, well, what if I don't want to be part of your, you know, your system? Uh, and I know the answer to this. I'm just re-asking it for you so they can hear it from you directly. I understand. There's still people today called the Flat Earth Society. They believe that the Earth is flat. 
There are still people that believe in the boo-boo tree in Africa. They think it controls everything. If people don't understand science, if they don't understand how behavior is shaped by culture, they'll go off on their own. If a nation cannot realize that war tanks are obsolete, that missiles are better, they will be surpassed by other nations. Do you understand that? Yes. Okay. So don't worry about the people that can't make it. They will be bypassed. Well, no, for sure. But if somebody does, to, you know, we talked about this once actually when I was in Venus, Florida with you guys, you know, people like the Amish who are ideologically opposed to certain technology, we just kind of let them do their thing. Nobody's yes. going to be forced to participate. No, not no. at all. They could live where they want. If they want our help building things, we'll do that. If they want to build their own thing out of wood and it catches fire, they're responsible for that. We would only ask that if, you know, certain people want to go off and, earn, and eat, for, for example, a certain diet, we would ask if we could study them to see if, how that diet affects people, if there's advantages in a particular diet or not. That's, you know, and it's one of the things that I, I think that people, it's also, that's another major aspect that is actually granting us freedom, um, you know, is that we are free from the, you know, the, basically the, I'm just going to say it, the bullshit that we get are fed by the, uh, you know, the advertising companies, uh, you know, that will do things, you know, to try to convince you that you need certain items that you don't need at all. Um, right. You know, like, uh, are you, you know, familiar with the work of Edward Bernays, Jack, and how he What I would recommend that you do is have people define their terms. When they use the word freedom, what do you mean by freedom? Sometimes a person comes up to me and says, I'm a nature lover. You love earthquakes, hurricanes, disease. What do you mean by nature lover? Do you follow me? Mm -hmm. When they use words, you ask them, what do you mean by that word? Right. I believe God. Which one? Birds. Yep. <laughs> like, I asked Einstein that question. I said, do you believe in God? And he said, which one? Right. There's so many different concepts of God. So when a person comes up to you and says, I believe in freedom, then whack him on the head. In other words, what do you mean by freedom? I think that doesn't mean anything specific. But if a person says, I believe that if people want to be nudists, they can be nudists. If they want ten wives, they can have ten wives. If they want a, a childless environment, they can live in that environment. How much freedom? What do you mean by freedom? Nobody that I've ever met defined what they meant by freedom. And they talk about freedom. They always tell people that they're free. But when you have a country that tells you you're free, watch out, because they wouldn't have to tell you if you were if you were free. You really have a particular range of of um, yeah permissible behavior. That's what freedom is today. Certain certain things they can do. And a lot of people think, well, freedom is they can pick this shirt as opposed to that shirt. You know, they can go out and shop. When they talk like that, can they have freedom? But we would be giving them so many options, they wouldn't even begin to fathom how free they could be in the society we're talking about. Well, you know, try to control people, Neil. If you try to control religion, it'll go underground. If you try to control a range of behavior in human beings, they will form separate groups. What you have to do is educate them out of their superstitions by using a referent, a physical referent for your beliefs. 
Yeah, I, I completely um, understand where you're coming from. Now, uh, there is actually somebody, one of my uh, newer listeners, is suggesting that um, they're concerned that we have any involvement with the United Nations. What is your What is your opinion of the United Nations? So far, the United Nations is not there to bring all the nations of the world together. They're there to protect the nations they represent. In the future, the United Nations will be concerned with the earth and all the people on it, and the end of the artificial boundaries that separate people, and the declaration that all the earth's resources belong to all the world's people. That's when the United Nations comes into their own. Right now, they're there to protect the nations they represent. We had an interesting experience, though, in uh, the Netherlands. And when we were in Eindhoven, Jacques did a second lecture, and it was connected with the Earth Charter celebration, their 10th anniversary. And this is something that was backed by the United Nations. Gorbachev had a hand in starting it at a certain point. And they were supposed to be at the forefront of words like justice, sustainability, uh, or human rights. And um, we were invited to the, the Queen's Palace in, um, in, when we were in the Netherlands. I forgot what country, it, I mean, what state it was, or however they, they classify that. But um, it was kind of an eye-opener and kind of shocking to me. We spent the whole day listening to people getting up and making emotional appeals about human rights and animal rights and the progress that they've made. But, and, and sustainability was the key word for them. But they also had representation from different corporations and the banking system was there. They had no idea what the causes of the problems were. They had no idea how the banking system keeps people and countries in perpetual debt. They didn't touch any of that. That was, um, you know, that that was unheard of to talk about there that there because we tried to bring it up. When they use the word sustainability, who are they talking about? Sustainability for the banks sustainability for the average American or the average person on earth, when they talk of sustainability without defining how they use that word, you don't know what they're talking about. Well, we brought that up and one woman said, well, we're talking about sustainability for everything in this culture. She had no idea. So, um, you know, we, we, we stood up at the end and made a few comments and people just stared at us blank. We're kind of actually coming to the end of the uh, the, uh, the end of the live broadcast, but please go ahead and continue with what you're saying. Those of you who are listening, um, you know, thank you for tuning in to V Radio, v-radio.org. Uh, visit for that, and the rest of this conversation will be on the archive. Please continue with what you were saying, Roxanne. Well, we were just saying that a couple of people came up at the end, just two, after listening to us talk about a resource-based economy and the Venus Project for just a very short period of time. We probably could have made some headway if we had if we had some time to discuss it, but, um, but we asked people to look up the venusproject.com. Excellent, excellent. You know, um, well, you know, um, it's been awesome having you guys on. Now, I mean, go ahead and tell me, I mean, I, I was wondering actually about how that went. You're basically just saying it was kind of a wash, it was just kind of a dog and pony show or what? I mean, uh, did you, I mean, you reached a couple of people and that was it? 
that was it. One walked up and said, well, what you're saying is much more advanced than what they're doing here. And the other was from Greenpeace, and she was very interested. But we wrote about it on the blog, if you're, you know, at the end of the show. When we were in Eindhoven, mm -hmm. it, that section's on the blog about that experience. Okay. Well, excellent. Um, I guess, uh, you know, let me, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, give the mic over to Jacques now to go ahead and, and take a la moment to give a last word. You know, um, and uh, share with everybody. You know, uh, basically, you know, thanks again, Jock and Roxanne, for coming on. It's thanks. always great to have you guys on. Um, thank you. Uh, but I would suggest that people read up, become familiar with semantics before you even talk about anything. You should question everything. Everything you learn, a lot of it is damaged, artificial, and straight out like lies lies. I would say that be very careful. I don't want people to follow me. I want them to listen to what I say. If it makes sense, do it. Look up everything I say. Cross-examine me. Don't believe a word I say. Don't believe a word anybody else says unless they can back it up. Thank you for the privilege, Neil. Thank you for coming on, guys. Um, Thanks, Neil. And um, I'll actually probably talk to you guys a little bit off camera, or off camera, off the air, um, if you guys have a moment. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, you were listening to V Radio. Um, please visit, please visit vradio.org, v-radio.org, um, and also, of course, visit thevenusproject.com. Um, and uh, thank you guys for coming on. Go ahead and say goodbye to the listeners. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Excellent. Oh, let me... Thank you.